you know, as a kid, I was messing around with things in the garage. Um, I would get in trouble actually for going out in the garage and uh, and like doing things like cutting open my Nike shoes to make sure they had the air pad in the side because I couldn't afford the ones that actually showed the air pad that just said air on them. Um, and then I would try and put springs in them to make them me jump higher so I could hopefully slam dunk. So I tried to install springs in the back of my shoes. Um, okay. uh, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. Uh, I still can't slam dunk, but uh, it was fun to try. Welcome to Moonshot, the show where we explore the biggest ideas in tech and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson, and in this episode, we're talking with a man who has had his finger on the pulse of technology for well over a decade. Kevin Rose is an entrepreneur and currently an investor with True Ventures. He previously founded Dig.com way back in 2004, along with a bunch of other startups. He was an early investor in companies like Twitter, Foursquare, and he even managed to get in on Facebook. And he has a real knack for spotting trends and picking ideas that can scale. So what future ideas is Kevin really excited about? And why won't he be investing in VR? Join us as we explore the future with Kevin Rose. Like I'd always held kind of jobs at startups, but had never started my own thing. So this was the first time I had gone off and actually said, um, I'm going to launch my own project. My name is Kevin Rose. I'm an investor at True Ventures, and I'm also a serial entrepreneur. Kevin founded Dig.com back in 2004. It was a place where people could share links and ideas they found online. Many people will remember visiting websites and seeing the Dig This button, which enabled people to dig the content they loved and then vote on it. At the time, I was just wanting to experiment with different ideas, and, and Dig just happened to be one that felt like it was the right time. Um, a couple things had happened. One, Ajax uh, had just started up. It allowed you to do like um, uh, like the click and, and, and actually see something change on the screen without ha- actually having to go to an additional page. Um, actually, when Dig first started, you would click to dig something, and it would take you to another page that said, thank you for your dig. So when that came out, it just made it so much easier for people to participate on the web and like vote on things. At its peak, Dig averaged around 30 million visitors a month, and it was arguably one of the most important media sites around. However, after struggling to keep momentum, it was split up and sold back in 2012. And although Kevin is no longer involved in the company, I really wanted to get his take on some of the struggles facing modern media companies. Media is kind of an interesting thing at the moment because there seems to be this sort of dilemma with, well, how do you make media work as, as a business? How do you think that companies should be approaching this sort of dilemma? Like, how do you make money out of media at the moment? What's the right way to approach that? When you talk about, about media, it's, it's, the, it's clear that the, the kind of the whole idea of buying a standard IAB ad unit is gone. And so... Um, I would argue that even just five years ago, it was a lot harder to actually monetize media than it is today, Um, certainly on the video side. When we first started doing video podcasts back here in 2006, 
2007, I believe, uh, or 2006 or 7, um, there was just no advertisers. They weren't really interested in doing it at all. And now, thankfully, the costs are have, have decreased so that it doesn't cost you um, what it used to to actually stream this content. Um, and and it's it's. It, I would say for an early stage startup in media, it's it's a lot more cost effective than it ever has been. So, um, it, when I think about startups getting into this space, my my argument would be to just keep the team as small as possible until you kind of find um, that audience and that traction, and you're able to to properly monetize it. I think a, a a thing that where companies get carried away is that they go and hire up a massive staff and then all of a sudden think they're going to have the eyeballs that they don't, and then they, that's when you run into problems. But you also shifted from doing the, the startup thing into the investing world. Was that sort of like a natural move for you? Um, how did that come about? It, it all started happening when uh, Dig had started to take off, and it was probably 2006. And back in the, the Valley, um, everyone just kind of knew each other that were that, ha- that had a startup that was had some traction. So we all would get you know, asked to speak at the same conferences. We would, um, you know, run into each other here or there. So really it was just very um, fortunate that I actually got to befriend these entrepreneurs and invest in their, the ones that I really thought had great products. So, you know, that was what led me to invest in Twitter and a bunch of the, you know, four squares of the world and Facebook and others is just getting to know the founders um, just because they happen to be, you know, within... Uh, a few miles away from wherever you are, and San Francisco is only a, a seven by seven mile city, so it's you, know, you, you bump into people, and I think that's uh, that's one of the the nice things about the Bay Area is that there is just so much of that serendipity of just bumping into like minded people. You have invested in a number of companies that have done very well. Like you seem to have a knack of being able to pick those companies. What what's a good idea? The one common thread that that runs um, through all of them is just that it's not just a me too idea. So it's not just like a, a small improvement on uh, an existing problem. So as an investor, um, you have to say no to you know 95 plus percent of the people that want to pitch you ideas and. Um, that's not to say that they're going to fail because, you know, I've certainly missed my fair share of good ideas as well. Um, but it's, it's finding those founders that have the ability to demonstrate that they can have original novel thinking. Like I always think of it as like, what's the attraction and then that's, but attraction isn't enough to really sell you. Like the team is what sells you. So like just because something, someone has an interesting idea, if they don't have the team to back it up, then I'm, I'm still not going to invest. You mentioned the team being very important. Are there any sort of key attributes in in founders that you look for? Yeah, you know, I, I think that w- one of the things that, um, or was certainly a mistake that, that founders make is that uh, they have to be patient and they have to be willing to say no um, to a lot of potential candidates. So um, certainly a mistake that I've made in the past and I've seen other founders make is that you're, 
you're so desperate to fill a role that you make the wrong um, hiring decision. If there's anything I learned from Google, it's that you spend, um, the, the key to success there is really saying no in those situations and waiting for the perfect candidate and someone that you're going to be able to fully trust in that role. Um, so that means, um, you know, really focusing on the hiring process and making that a key piece of what you do. So many entrepreneurs just overlook it as just like a, a kind of a nuisance. And then like, oh, okay, yeah, I have someone that I'm supposed to sit down with today and it's for this role, okay. And they glance over the resume for two seconds and then they have um, a meeting with uh, where they're not really paying attention. And then, you know, they make a snap judgment call and, and they oftentimes get the wrong candidate in the door. So, you know, just making sure someone's being really thoughtful about the team and people that they, they associate with and how they plan on building that out. That's, that's something I always like to dig in on when I ask entrepreneurs, like, how they, how they plan to build out the team and what, what type of candidates they're looking for. I make sure that the responses are thoughtful. Kevin often posts about the products and technologies he's interested in investing in, and sometimes they go against the grain of the rest of Silicon Valley. One such area is virtual reality. Last year, Kevin shared some predictions about where he thought the future of technology was heading. And one interesting thing was that he wasn't planning to invest in VR. So given the huge amount of capital invested in VR at the moment from companies like Facebook, HTC, and Google, I really wanted to know why. Can you walk me through your your thoughts around VR um, and the decision to you know, not invest in VR companies? It's... It's a technology that I first tried on and I put it on my head and I looked around the virtual world and I immediately thought that this is a single player experience. And, and single player experiences um, in the sense that I don't mean you can't play with other people that are also in the virtual world. I mean that everyone that is standing around you is either wanting to put it on and they want to play or they're frustrated that you're playing or they can't see what you're playing and it's not as cool or they do see it on a projector but it looks weird because you see left and right eyes and they're not getting the full virtual thing there's just a lot to hate as an outside uh, spectator looking in and you know combined with the the size and clunkiness that is virtual reality and the hardware required to do it properly it was just so very apparent to me that while this may turn into something um, that a niche audience is going to love, like a, a hardcore gamer, the investors that were getting excited about it tend to think of it, they were thinking of it as something that every consumer was going to have to have in their home. And I just couldn't see how any time in the, in the near future that would ever be the case. I've just seen so many of these technologies go through these hype cycles, whether it be bots which i also thought was just silly or you know when 3d tvs first came out and everyone had the 3d tv glasses like the, the, the thing is it has to be somebody was telling me like oh but you'll be watching sports games in there and that that sounds interesting but you know peter Thiel said it best i think in that something has to be a true kind of order of magnitude improvement in order to shift consumer behavior there's just so many of these technologies that really don't provide that jump and so this to me feels like one of those technologies
just sort of like watching and, and reading all the content that you've put out, you talk about wearables all the time. Are there any sort of interesting ideas in wearables at the moment that you're fascinated with? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, for me, we have so many different changes that are happening in our body right now um, that if we were provided the data could really help us in a variety of different ways. You know, there's, a, there's a true company, True Ventures company that um, has invested in a patch that goes on the arm and it just goes into the initial kind of like first layer dermis of your skin so it doesn't actually hit the blood layer um, and it can look at that fluid and determine your glucose levels right back to your phone instantly which is pretty awesome. A lot of really interesting tech there. Um, I'm also wearing a ring right now as we speak called the Aura Ring. Um, the Aura Ring does um, because it's a ring and it sits so close to the skin and doesn't move around like a watch, it can, it's able to do uh, milliseconds between heart, heartbeats. So it can determine your uh, variable heart rate. Variable heart rate is um, a measure of uh, your overall kind of general fatigue. And so, you know, professional teams um, uh, and athletes will measure their variable heart rate to understand how tired their players are so they know how many minutes to play them in a game, things of that nature. The idea of bringing that to the, the, the hands of a consumer so you can figure out how well you're sleeping and, and how ready you are to take on the day, I think is just fascinating. So I'll be keeping a, a kind of close eye on to uh, into the, this kind of field of the more um, in-depth sensors and how we can get it additional data inside of our body that isn't just a simple pedometer, you know, something that's that's actually um, will give us give us real data with um, actionable, um, um, you know, things that we can do to improve our health. Do you, as a founder, and you know, a serial entrepreneur, how do you deal with burnout? It's um, a good question. It, it's it's certainly something that has evolved over the years. You know, I used to be um, a pretty hardcore kind of like, you know, burning the candle at both ends, work into the night, um, eat crappy food. Um, you know, uh, that was my lifestyle, and that was kind of my 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 whole startup career was, was, was doing that. And it, that leads to burnout and it leads to you just feeling like, um, you're exhausted. Um, it can lead to anxiety. It can lead to a whole slew of other health related issues, GI issues, you name it. And so, you know, I started to see some of this stuff appear and I just realized like, gosh, I need to fi figure out what, what balance is for me. And so that meant, um, just really, trying to be very thoughtful in how I plan out my days. And so taking the time to not get on my phone first thing in the morning, um, taking the time to um, do my own slow pour over coffee at home or tea at home where it's not about rushing out and grabbing something quickly on the go. And, um, you know, like really creating um, uh, chunks of my day for different types of activities and always finding a way to get exercise or meditation um, kind of interwoven to all of that. The issue that we have is that just distraction in general has increased so much. I don't think that we were necessarily, our brains have, uh, have evolved yet fully to understand and, and, and deal with distraction. You'll go through a day and answer, you know, 75, 100 different emails and 
interact with you know another couple hundred tweets and you know fifty Facebook posts and you think about would this ever naturally happen if technology was not there? Would you actually talk to that many people? Would you actually respond? And the answer is like, no way. There would be like you know ten to fifteen very essential things that you would think about per day. Um, so I think this idea of just um, fragmenting our brain like this is. Uh, it's like it, was, it reminds me of the old hard drive days when you'd use your hard drive so many different ways you'd have to go and do a defrag on it to like sort out the data again like I feel like we need to find meditation or at least a break in our day where we can use our own personal defrag um, just to kind of like it gives, give ourselves just really a, a break so that we can reset and, and, and kind of consider all of our actions. Is that what led you down the pathway to sort of build this meditation app? It's, it's seen a lot of um, great apps out there that I've used um, to, to learn meditation and, and taken some courses and whatnot. And I just noticed that with practice, with time, led to um, just a little bit more um, slow, slow little tiny changes in terms of just um, being able to take a deep breath and kind of... Um, not need stimulation 24-7. Um, I, I feel like it's, it's once you break out and, and you leave the technology echo chamber, uh, you'll be amazed at how entrenched you were. Some people can handle that probably for their entire lives. Others, like myself, r realize that that can lead to an overstimulated mind. And it doesn't lead to peace. It really doesn't. It just like it's just... We, we need to find balance, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's coming for all of us. And I think I was on a little bit of an accelerated path due to being in startups for so many years. Now that I'm kind of back out of it and I can observe it from afar, I'm just like, wow, I was one of those guys that was just like so into their phone, you know? Yeah. I noticed that you and your wife are expecting a child. Congratulations. Have you thought much about the legacy that you want to leave leave your child or like what you what you want your child to learn from you well uh well thank you yeah i'm excited for this, this is going to be uh come november 4th it's the due date pretty excited i don't know that i i believe in in legacy like i don't believe in in kind of like wanting to go and, and create some crazy like vision of myself i don't want a statue like a bronze statue anywhere <laughs> like i'm not i just honestly all i all I want to do is hopefully teach her that um, that one of the great joys in life is trying new things. And um, failure is not to be feared. And it's, 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 not, it's not even to be demonized. Like, I think failure is so awesome because what it means is that you tried something. And like so many people don't even have the guts to go and try something. Like anytime a founder comes up to me and I've had this happen so many times, we're like, well, I had a startup and it didn't work out. And like the eyes immediately go to the ground. And it's like, you can tell it's like weighed heavily on that person. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? You went and tried something. Like you were like, I don't need to work a nine to five job. I want to go see, see if I can create something new. And so many times the little things that we try can influence other people and they can help them create their own ideas. What do you do when you fail? Do you just brush it off and not think about it? Or like, what do you have a process of 
dealing with those things? You know, it's funny. It's, I, I don't really think of it as something that needs to be brushed off anymore. It's like I used to think of like, oh, gosh, just don't let it get to you, like this and that. And I think the way that I've reframed it in my mind is that, um, and we know this quite well in venture, it's like, you know, 80% of your investments or 75, if you're lucky, are, are, are going to um, end up failing. And that's just, that's the game that you play. And that's like, you know, that's, but that's okay. That's, that's just, that's the nature of this whole beast and trying new, out new ideas. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really brush it off. I just think like, well, that, that was fun. I, I learned something because, and, and it was cool because you got to see that project in your brain turn into a real life thing. And so like that, for me, that's like what I wanted out of it and success and scale and millions of users. That's all, that's all gravy. That's like awesome to have. Like, of course people want their product to be used by as many people as possible. But I think just getting the idea out and seeing it function is, um, is cool enough for me. Each of our brains is so unique. You just don't know if your idea is going to resonate with more people or if you might think it's the coolest thing in the world. You know, it's like no one thinks their own baby's ugly kind of thing. So it's like uh, that's the way I, I kind of look at it is like if I can get to that point of launching it, I'll, I'll be pretty happy. Do you have any advice for, for founders that you think they should go away with? Like, if they were listening to some of the things we've been talking about, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, two things. One, spend 90% of your effort up front on hiring the right people and make that your number one job. And the second thing would be that if you think that you're listening to this and you don't have the time to do a startup because you have a full-time job and you have a family and you have kids... Um, you can make it a passion project. You can say, I mean, the cost of building apps these days and building software is so cheap. I mean, everything, it's funny, I don't even have a back-end engineer for our meditation app. Everything's on Firebase. And it just, like, automatically scales. Like, it just happens. Like, I pay them $20 a month, and it scales forever. Like, you know, and then, like, maybe that goes to $30 a month if, like, if it gets bigger, you know? So, um you don't really need to have a full-blown team anymore and if you have something that you think is really cool and you want to have it see the light of day and you think gosh like if only if only you don't have to think that anymore you can say okay i'm going to do this and i'm going to dedicate like two nights a week uh maybe three and guess what you don't turn on the tv guess what you don't watch netflix you know you that's that is your netflix is your startup it's like people have to understand that there is always time and, and this, this idea that, that they have a family or whatever it may be, it's like, even if you don't have the money, um, you know, my first startup, um, well, I'd say a couple startups, I've, I've, I've said like, hey, would you be willing to do this for, for equity? And if, you can, and if you are the right person for the job, which you should be because it was your idea, you should be able to sell someone on how big this idea and how awesome it's going to be. And it, if you find the right person you're able to sell them oftentimes they'll donate their time for a chunk of the company of the equity and so you know there's always a way to get to to launching your idea um, you just have to be willing to really um, to, to find the the slots to make it happen
If you love what we're doing with Moonshot, jump on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. And don't forget to share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Our cover artwork is by the very talented Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and is hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Join us next time as we dive or fly into the future.